0: Hi, ho, hi, ho. It's off the bass edge we go. Okay, Aaron, I'm getting a little, little coffee drunk here this morning. Tell me about it, buddy. Um,
1: I'm thinking next week is probably going to be Frozen, and dude, that is where <laughs> I draw the
0: line. That would be freaking awesome. All right, here's the deal. MegaWear KeelGuard has been a proud partner of Bass Edge Radio since 2006. We talk about it all the time, but I got to ask this question. What is the difference between a KeelGuard and a Hamby's?
1: Very good question, Kurt. MegaWare Keelguard is certainly the company that started it all, made the first do-it-yourself keelguard installation to where you or I can buy one off the rack at your local marine dealer, tackle store, take it home, and in less than an hour actually have that thing put on and have a lifetime guarantee on that keel protection. In addition, MegaWare Keelguard, you know, they also have the Flex Step, the Scuff Buster, the Skeg Protector, Skeg Guard. All of those things also fall under that label. Whereas the Hambies, that is an OEM or a dealer installation only. A lot more detailed as far as putting it on. Uh, so normally that would be done at the factory when you order your boat or through your dealer. Additionally, more expensive and it is going to be a lot thicker as far as on the bottom. Certainly both fantastic products, but after you have bought that boat perhaps and you want to do it yourself, MegaWare keel guard is definitely the way to go.
0: Well, for sure. We don't want to be riding around and getting scuffs and abrasion marks on the bottom of our boat and uh, Bass Edge doing it right with the do-it-yourself product, MegaWare keel guard. Hey, look, Aaron, let's get the show on the road. I'm excited. We got a lot of stuff to cover today. Bass Edge Radio begins now.
2: Broadcast in three, two, one. You're listening to The Edge, everything bass fishing, coming to you nationwide from the Bass Edge studios.
1: All right, Kurt, question for you. I'm going to go jump straight into it. What is up with. All of this grass situation. First, we had Lake Austin, no grass. They've basically eradicated that. Now they're picking on Gunnersville, which the reason why I bring this up is because I want your opinion on somebody that has actually experienced, been down there recently. You guys have seen firsthand. Have they actually put a hamper on the grass? And if so, is that impacting the bass?
0: Yeah, you know, definitely, Aaron. You know, Gunnersville, a couple weeks ago, I haven't been there in like five years. It is a different lake. And I had heard how there was some impact on the grass the TVA worked over some of that grass and and let's face it we all know how grass is important to an ecosystem we've seen it here at Amistad when the water went down really low and and the fishing got really tough and now it's starting to come back because the grass is coming back we've seen it at Lake Austin they put in too many grass carp all the grass gone and for a while there sure you're still banging a lot of big fish but now it's starting to get tough over there because once that grass is gone all the forge same thing at Potomac River where I grew up you know there's years where the grass has been really, really good and the fishing is off the hook and then there's years now, you know, the grass isn't that good on the Potomac currently and the fishing's gotten much tougher over there. It only takes 14 or 15 pounds in the springtime to have a good tournament at Potomac because of the grass situation. You're going to see that here in a month or two when the FLW Tour goes back to Potomac. You're going to see weights going way down and that's because of a grass situation. Now we're going to flip full circle. We're at Gunnersville. Back in the early 90s, you had the grass and the TVA wanting to control things, which is understandable. You know, they're dock owners. There's recreational boaters. I'm not a one-minded individual, so I get that. But boy, I tell you what, Aaron, you know, I think part of the reason why the bridges, riprap, laydowns, the wood are playing such a huge role at Gunnersville over the last five or six months, and not that they didn't in the past also, but specifically in the last several months, is because of the eradication. Or the spraying of several areas of grass there at Lake Gunnersville. You know, I can only hope that the TVA took a lot of time and understanding to really control their invasive species program because that's basically what it is and didn't really hurt Lake Gunnersville. Here's where
1: I absolutely kind of have to draw the line. And I, I think we really need to eventually have uh, the pond boss, bass professor, and biologist himself, Bob Lusk, weigh in on this because, you know what? I'm, I'm great with the grass carp, and like you said, we all have to get along and, and be nice in the sandbox, and we've got the pleasure boaters and all that type of stuff. But it's it's no different than what we're dealing with on the agriculture side with what's going on in the Missouri and the Mississippi River with the phosphate levels because of runoff that's coming in. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, you can say that the the spray is natural, but that chemical doesn't naturally fall out of the sky. Otherwise, Mother Nature would take care of it itself. Am, am I not yeah, correct yeah. on that?
0: How, how do they control this stuff? You know, they say it's a controlled... Dude, you're spraying this stuff in the water, it's, you know, the TVA or the Mississippi River or whatever it is, the Colorado River there in Austin, Texas. How in the world is it really controlled when you're spraying this stuff in the water? You're not putting up barriers to hold the stuff anywhere in a specific section of the lake. You're spraying the water. The water is flowing through the entire system. So, you know, it's something I don't quite understand. Love your comment about getting Pond Boss on here. Maybe we'll throw it out to BP and have them come down and do a router I'm sure. I'm sure they could get rid of all of the grass. For <laughs> they'll, they'll do a fantastic job. But at any rate, you know, the reason I brought this up is because of the Gunnersville event, and, and a great event it was. Skeet Reese, obviously the winner there, caught I think 90-ish pounds of bass. Which four days, 90 pounds of bass is awesome. But there were very few people catching lots of fish in that event. It was a ten to twelve fish per day kind of event. Sure, there were some isolated guys that were catching 25, 30 fish a day, but the general census at Gunnersville was that it was. I'm not going to call it a grind. That's not the right way to go. But it's not what Gunnersville was 12, 18, 24 months ago. Okay, then the so question be is going to interesting gonna, to see where this goes.
1: The question is going to then be posed, and I think I have to ask it because my question is the same thing. Those fish are there. Skeet caught them. Maybe not so much there in numbers but then are we as anglers because we are biased are we belly aching about something that because of the ease of which that we are not catching them versus what we used to you know my question is and i think a lot of people would ask those fish where did they go then they're probably still there then do we need to pull up our bootstraps and, and man up and say okay we've just got to figure out how to catch
0: them? well that's a great point aaron but i'm not so sure you know you look at all the other areas where we've seen this lake austin amistad potomac river you know the list goes on the grass is such a key point of the forage there has to be a reason for a part of a decline. No, line, We just it. don't, we don't like have enough it. information probably. That, that's exactly day. right. Exactly right. But uh, look, you know, just really wanted to bring this up today because uh, and and specifically in this episode because of what I saw there at Gunnersville, Great lake, still awesome. I mean, I had 15 plus the first day and then, you know, 18 pounds the second day. You know, it's not like you're not going on there catching them. It's just not what it was 12, 18 months ago. And really, I just assume all Bass Edge listeners keep an eye on that. Let's see where it goes. Hopefully everything will be fine, but a uh, slight concern there, especially with all the other things that I've seen over the last couple years with those other fisheries that we discussed and, and many more out there that we haven't. Let's move along, buddy. What, what else we got going on this episode? We got tons of stuff here. We do, and today you have lined up not only
1: a phenomenal pro tip, which quite honestly, I'm going to be taking notes the whole time when I saw this on the note that you had sent me, but also then with our Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight that's coming in, it's a guest that I enjoyed talking to in the past, and I know we're going to enjoy another really educational
0: time with him. Well, let's move on out and move on up into today's pro tip coming right now.
3: I am BASF Angler Marty Robinson, and you're listening to Bass Edge Radio with Aaron and Kirk.
1: This week's pro tip is brought to you by ProtectTheHarvest.com, keeping our traditions alive for future generations.
0: Today's question is answered by 2015 Grand Lake Rayovac champion Brad Hallman. Brad, the fish are on the spawn, and sight fishing is not an option. How will you catch the bass?
3: That's usually a problem that we have in Oklahoma. We live with our whole life. We have muddy water here. I know a lot of places in Arkansas and places in Missouri that just have stained lakes most of the time. Generally, we're catching those fish with spinnerbaits, jigs, flipping, pitching. Uh, water gets high, gets in the bushes, and we're flipping and pitching. A lot of people just think that that's just a spring bite, but truthfully what that is is a spawn bite. Those fish are sitting up into those willow trees, bushes that we can't see and uh, we're flipping and pitching them, throwing spinnerbaits, getting a reaction bite and it's actually whenever that spinnerbait comes across that bed or that jig goes into that bed, it's the same bite. It's just some of the lakes that you see some of the pro sight fishing on just happen to be gin clear and the fish are out in front of things in four and five foot of water and they're actually antagonizing that fish. Truthfully a fish that can't see you, you can't see it, is much quicker to bite and therefore that's why spinnerbaits reactions and uh, pitches seem to work better for them.
0: That's today's pro tip brought to you by protecttheharvest.com, keeping traditions alive for future generations.
2: Two fishermen came together with one agenda, to construct bass boats superior in design and build with a flawless finish, with our boats exhilarating handling and smooth ride. Extreme rough water just doesn't exist. We're not just building a boat. We're building a legend. Legend Boats.
3: I'm Dave and you're tuned in to Bass Edge Radio with Aaron and Kurt.
0: It is great to have a returning guest from way back, all the way back to July 2012, his most recent sighting here on Bass Edge in episode 145, but now he has another crown, and that's FLW angler Dave LaFibra winning the most recent Smith Lake FLW event. Dave, welcome back to Bass Edge Radio, buddy. How you doing? It's glad to be here, man. Well,
1: Dave, you know, every time you have won a major event, we have been fortunate enough to have you on the show, and I am sure you're ready to schedule the next 10 appearances, right?
3: <laughs> yeah, let's do it, man. Yeah. I mean, we could schedule one for I guess uh, Sunday. I <laughs> that's,
1: that's right. That's right. Well, hey, thanks for taking the time out of your schedule to hang with us. So, uh, you know, how have you been? What's been going on in the world of Dave Lefebvre?
3: Well, I mean, I've been busy. Had a, had one of the busiest off-seasons of all time and you know, got that win a couple weeks ago and I didn't know there were so many bass fishing radio shows. It's awesome to see it grow in the sport. Been doing a lot of this kind of stuff and getting ready for the next one. Have had a whole lot of time to think I'm at Beaver Lake right now, and today's our day off, you know, and just trying to get my tackle ready and trying to do it between thunderstorms. It's lots of fun.
0: We'll probably dive into a beaver a little bit later since uh, you're hanging out there, but let's regress slightly and talk about Smith Lake. It was reported that uh, you utilized a different approach, as many sight fished in that event, and lots of fish caught just fishing as well, but really you had something a little bit special that you were able to recognize, and that was some spawning bait fish that led you to your winning bites. Explain to Bass Edge listeners what it was exactly and how it worked for you.
3: You know, it was one of those deals where, you know, these type of clear lakes that I'm at now kind of like Smith, you know, where the Andy Morgan type of fishermen, the Dudleys, you know, the ones that are good at adjusting are the ones that do well. And, and that tournament, I mean, that that was something I wasn't planning on. It just kind of showed itself on the first day of the tournament. What it was was just, you know, little balls of blueback herring, just like the shad do, you know, spawning around these big boulders and bushes and everything. And the only thing different from the bluebacks compared to the shad is the bass there feeding on them in the morning, which I thought was really odd, but I was finding those things in the morning, you know, and, and of course, you know, four day tournament things evolve over the four days, and I was kind of getting more clued in as we went along. I would have loved another fifth day, um, actually, but I was going back to those places where they were spawning in the mornings and going there late in the afternoon and, and catching those those bigger bass, which, uh, you know, was new to me. I mean, something totally different, but when it started working, obviously, it gets your wheels turning and just kind of tried to find more. More of that in the morning so I knew where to fish when
0: it was hammer time. So Dave, I'm interested, was there any presence of the bait fish once you came back kind of later on in the day when you, when you actually caught the fish? You mentioned they weren't relating to the spawning bluebacks in the morning, but did you see them like on your graph, like out away from those areas or was it at that point completely void and you think the fish were just like, hey, where'd you go? And then all of a sudden you throw your presentation in there and what's your analysis on what exactly took place?
3: I didn't see any when I came back yeah, you know, there, I was always marking so much bait or crap. These bluegills, I don't know what they were, out in the middle of those pockets as I was idling in. Right. But um, I marked those in the mornings too, so I, I don't really know where the bluebacks went. They were just gone, and you can see the bottom in fifteen feet of water, so they were definitely gone. Like I said, I'm no expert on what happened there, but uh, it, it's something that really intrigued me too. That's why I said, you know, I'd love another a fifth day and a sixth day just to go out there and try to understand it a little bit better. It was an odd deal. I mean, I visualized exactly the way you just put it. The fish knew the bluebacks were there, and they were waiting for them to come back, maybe, you know, and when they saw that bait, that was the only thing there. <laughs> um, right. uh, crazy.
1: Wow. Well, you know, the interesting thing is, Dave, bluebacks are playing a major role in lakes throughout the southeast, and, and we heard a lot about them at this year's Bass Masters Classic and also really in, in last year's FLW Cup. And after chasing bass whose main diet become bluebacks once introduced in an impoundment, how do you really prepare to target these fish, or do you just kind of, you know, run
3: into them? You know, we didn't even know there were bluebacks in that lake the day before the tournament. Oh, good. You know, I hear I'm thinking, uh, <laughs> this is news to me, you know. Yeah, that, that's kind of how I roll, I guess. But, you know, I was camping in the campground with several other guys, and I actually asked that question, you know, because I'd read something where there were some bluebacks in there. Both the guys I was with dismissed it, you know, just said they're not in here. There's not enough to do anything. But during the tournament, you know, after I saw those ones shallow, there were times when I saw fish blowing up out in the middle and pulled up and caught stripers during the tournament, and there were so many bluebacks that you could feel them in 100 feet of water, you know, out in the middle, just beating your bait all the way to the boat. And there were black clouds, you know, not a cloud in the sky, but there's a big dark spot, quarter mile wide. I'm talking like mega schools of those things. So, they are new there. I'm not sure how many years they've had them, just a few, but um, man, that lake's going to explode, I think.
0: Yeah, I think we've already started to see some evidence. The last day, you had basically a 20-pound sack, and, you know, any time previous Smith Lake tournaments that I've been involved with or that I've watched watched 15 to 16 was the hammer bag and now you start seeing these 20 pound bags and all of a sudden you know you start thinking okay bluebacks like the new grass of lakes with no grass right i mean it just it just (laughs) causes explosion like there's all these nutrients we actually had a discussion a little bit earlier in the show about grass and the effects and some of the lakes where things are changing a little bit it'll be interesting to see where this goes i mean 10 years ago you had clarks hill and murray and a couple other lakes with bluebacks and obviously the whole savannah river chain now you start throwing them in northern alabama and they start getting in some other lakes we're we're looking at a, you know a bait fish that can really change the playing field on a lot of southeastern impoundments what's your thought process on that if you had to analyze that
3: i think we ought to cast that a bunch of them drag them on up to erie and see what happens (laughs) with but uh, (laughs) no i'm looking to see 30 pound bags at smith I, i mean i'm telling you i don't know if you watched some of the interviews or before the event but on that first day of the tournament, I should have had 25 and only weighed 14. The second day, I should have had 30. I mean, a legitimate 30-pound bag wow. and um, and only weighed 16. You know, they were just jumping off on me. But And some of the fish we saw, I mean, I'm talking schools of five-pounders. I just know from what I saw, and I'm not an expert there, that some of these guys that really know that lake, and when they start to figure that blueback thing out, you know, it's going to go up. Local tournaments, you know, they 17, 18 pounds is a good day. I, I guarantee we're going to start seeing those 25s
1: with what you said right there, you know, Kurt always makes fun of me that I'm a pretty sheltered guy, you know, kind of being from the Midwest, don't get out much, I guess, according to his opinion. But, you know, I'm, I'm <laughs> right. familiar with with the shad spawn, right? Typically, uh, you know, bass is post-spawn period. And since many anglers can be focusing on this in May, what is it that you'll look for to identify, you know, and, and your favorite technique to catch bass relating to the shad spawn versus the bluebacks?
3: I don't think I do anything different, you know, I, I mean, one thing when you're looking for them, I tend to get out there as early as I can. When I when it's shad spawn time, I want to be out there basically launching my boat when it's dark. You know, it just doesn't last very long. You got to cover a lot of water and I don't do anything special, I don't think. I mean, I'm looking for those gravelly, flatty type areas with maybe riprap, you know, marina docks and things like that. but as far as growing up, I didn't have that where I lived. It's not something I specialize in or I can say, oh, that's a good-looking shad spawn area. I'd go out there and i intentionally look for it, and I've had some very good finishes fishing in it, but I'm more of just a go-by-the-book type of guy, you know, a shad-colored spinner bait is probably my number one thing, or a shad-colored swim jig, you know, something like that when I do find them, and uh, that's something I didn't do growing up, so it's that kind of almost has to fall into my lap.
0: <laughs> sure thing. I'm about the same way, but uh, certainly a tech Technique that's going to start taking place here in early May and a lot of the southeastern impoundments that these fish are starting to get in that post-spawn phase. And generally that's when that shad spawn occurs, when that water temperature hits the low 70s. So uh should be interesting. I want to talk real quick. Let's go back. Do you think bluebacks are the uh, new trout of the East Coast, right? You got the West Coast deal going on. You got so many lakes over there are producing these giant freaking spotted bass. They're breaking a record every six months out there. I think it's 11 and change or 10 and change is the new spotted bass record out there do you think that the uh, bluebacks on the east coast are going to be the trout of the west coast? I
3: guess they could be I mean you're starting to see a lot of baits that are you know like the one I was throwing at BX Wakeman, you know, it's, their colors are called blueback herring and the baits are getting bigger and bigger so it probably
0: be a safe bet I think we're on to a new trend we better hit it before everybody else gets on it because you know how that goes around, it'd be like the chatterbait days of early you, know, you get a couple years and uh, nobody else has got it going on but until Everybody else jumps on the bandwagon, then you can start ripping them pretty good. But hey, guys, it's time for Bass Edge Radio to take a short break. We'll return after these messages.
2: Stick around, and later in the show, you just might hear some Bass Edge bloopers. I know it's hard to believe, but Aaron and Kurt make a mistake once in a while. Okay, well, it happens a lot, actually. Back to the show. You're listening to Bass Edge.
1: Passage Edge Radio, presented by MegaWare Keelguard, returns with FLW Tour Angler and 2015 Smith Lake Champion Dave LaFebra in the Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight. Lucas Oil high performance marine products from real oils to two cycle outboard oil that surpasses all manufacturers' requirements. Visit them at lucasoil.com. It works.
0: Well, Dave, we're catching you today in preparation for the Beaver Lake FLW event. It sounds like it's going to be a pretty big sight fish event from uh, reports that I've seen. What are your favorite tactics for sight fishing, and how do you go about in preparing for an all-out sight fishing event?
3: My favorite sight fishing tactics are, (laughs) you know, they all involve northern fish, and uh, they say a bass is a bass is a bass, but these fish are completely, completely different down here. I mean, uh, everything that i do doesn't work i mean mean, they're just they're hard to catch i mean i I saw probably 200 to 300 on bed the first day of practice wow and uh you know i start marking them you know and i put you know the size of them and if i'm not real sure sometimes i'll catch them you know and actually make sure they're keepers they got to be 15 you know and I sat down on one and tried to catch it you know it was a kind of a deeper one I thought I could catch and I wasted an hour in practice uh, yesterday trying to mess with it and it kind of put the fear of God in me to be honest with you.
0: Right, <laughs> um, right, that'll, there, that'll do that real to, quick yeah. when you start spending an hour, yeah.
3: Yes, there's some things that I do you know that work and that involve making a, a much longer cast and I'm of course real familiar with light line and comfortable with six-time tests and stuff like that. You know those are the things I have to do is stay far back, use that lighter line mm-hmm. and try to Sneak up on them. I'll be wearing camo tomorrow, I guarantee you that, and just staying way back, staying real low, and trying to get under bite on that first cast is the key for me.
1: Hey, speaking of wearing camo, that kind of ties right into my next question here. You know, when sight fishing is a major player, what are some of the other techniques that you look for to use during, you know, that seasonal pattern? And, and talk a little bit more about is the camo, is that like so that the fish don't see you? I'm assuming, you know, can you elaborate a little bit on kind of some of the things that you do that gives you? that added edge
3: the further away you are from that fish, the less sky he's going to see to see you. I mean, you know, I'm looking at it that way. You know, some guys wear blues and, you know, they kind of match the sky a little bit. But uh I think the camo, you know, we're, we're in some ravines here, you know, when you go back in those pockets and it's trees straight up. And um, I know that it matters. It matters where I live, even though those fish are stupid. You know, if I'm wearing a bright red repelous sweatshirt, the smallmouth, you know, you can't get right on top of them. If you're wearing a blue shirt, you can stand right there and catch them, you know. It's been so obvious to me over the years that it's not a myth to me. Um, So to me that makes a big difference. And also you can skimp in just about any category in your boat. Your baits, your rods, reels, GPS's everything. You can get cheaper things. You know, all that money you save on that stuff needs to go toward your eyes and getting really good quality sunglasses. You know, I just can't stress that enough. Put on a 20 to $50 pair of glasses and then and put on a good pair of solar bats or whatever. You know, there's a lot of great companies out there, but you put on a good $100, $200, $300 pair of glasses and it's night and day. That's one of the main things I would say, just investing in your eyesight. is the most important thing in fishing, especially that time of year.
0: So, Dave, let's assume that you get out there and, and uh, you know, it is tough. You know, let's say it's tough to catch some sight fish. What other patterns or whatever techniques would you employ during this behavioral pattern you know when so many fish are on the bed let's say an angler maybe he doesn't like the sight fish or maybe he bails on the sight fish technique because he's having some difficult times catching some fish what other technique are you going to utilize to put some bass in the live well during this time frame
3: i i don't want to give away my, my, my secret to you guys right now but uh like i said I, I think staying really really far away and having those glasses you know you're not going to be able to see the bass bite it necessarily every time but you see that shadow you know you kind of see the movement you know like you're not sure it's the fish until it moves that's the key for me in this one if you sneak up on those fish and they do not see you once they see you it's over i mean it's not over but there's your 20 minute to hour and a half investment so that's what i'm doing i'm moving i've got enough mark and of course i didn't say this yet but i'm not sight fishing the whole tournament i got some other things that i have more faith than that are better than that i hope but for those sight fish that's my idea is if i if they see me i'm I'm leaving i'm just going to go to the next one and maybe
0: come back later but, gotcha uh, that, well just to let yeah. you know you're safe here because we're not gonna we're <laughs> not gonna put this out there until may the first so uh you're gonna be okay but i gotta switch gears real quick many folks up in the north are just beginning to hit the water you know here in may it's been a dang cold winter you know record ice on the great lakes for the second year in a row how are you gonna attack may largemouth fishing in your region of the country of pennsylvania
3: you're getting me excited. You're making me want to drive north right now. I mean, so I'm right. I missing you know, miss some good stuff up there now. But, you know, in May, they're still spawning up there, obviously, in May. They're spawning in June where I live, and sometimes even in July. I actually caught one on a bed in the first week of August a few years ago. You know, we got a long, long spawn season. But that time of year, you know, one thing to do is just tie on the old B shad. It's like a super fluke type of looking deal. No weight at all. 10-pound test. You know, I like using a longer rod and making super long casts and just covering water with that thing. I mean, you can throw it shallow, throw it deep on the flat. And that's probably one of my favorite things to do. And there's some ways to fish it a little deeper and there's ways to fish it on the the surface based on the size hook that you use and the way that you rig it. But I'd have to say that's probably one of my favorite ways to catch them throughout May. And it's easy too. You know, anybody can do it. You take a kid out there and they can have a blast.
0: You talked a little bit earlier about the southern fish, a little bit smarter, the northern fish. <laughs> little, maybe not as wise what what do you think that's attributed to you think it's the six months of of uh no pressure that uh once mm-hmm. they start seeing some baits there in in may and june they just they just can't stand it or, or is is do you have yeah, a,
3: a, I, I think it's a little bit of that and then it's you know these places where we go there's tournaments every day I and mean, there was a tournament yesterday what was yesterday wednesday or tuesday right you know what i mean a tuesday night tournament they all took sure. off at six o'clock so just the amount of pressure is just mind-boggling and all these big lakes that we fish. I'm sure you can go to a smaller lake that's close to here. You know, there's a couple of good ones and they'll be more like northern fish. So it's definitely all about how many people are out there fishing. And, and these sight fish are so easy to see when it's calm. You know, you can they're just everywhere. So they get fished for a lot. I think that's the difference. And of course, we're frozen six months out of the year, so it protects
0: them. Right. Well, the uh, next segment of our show is the O'Reilly Auto Parts, Better Parts, Better Prices Every Day. Listener Question. We're going to give away a $100 O'Reilly Auto Parts gift card to Pete Sykish from Kentucky Lake. Dave, Pete asked this question. I'm pre spawn bass fishing on Kentucky Lake. The water temperature is 62 to 63. First thing in the morning, should I fish the shallow flats or the points and ledges? I'm trying to figure out where the bass start their day on the staging points or in the shallow areas.
3: That's a tough one, Pete. You know, that pre-spawn time, to me, it's all about points. I would eliminate everything else out of your mind. You know, there's going to be fish on points. Kentucky Lake has a bunch of points. You live there, so you know where they spawn, you know where they're going to be, and uh, that's pretty much what I'm doing. I'm fishing those points. In, in the morning, sometimes they're just not you know, real excited about biting, so I might just slow down, you know, maybe even go down to a shaky head type of situation or whatever, but I think that narrows it down pretty good. You know, just focus on those points and forget about everything else in the
1: pre-spawn. There you have it, Pete. Congratulations for having your question chosen to be answered on the show. Send us an email letting us know you heard it answered by Dave Lefebvre, and we will send out your $100 O'Reilly Auto Parts gift card.
0: And as always, listener questions and comments about the show should come through our email support at BassEdge.com or comment on our social media outlets, Facebook and Twitter.
1: Well, Dave, as always, an extremely educational interview. Any uh, final thoughts or uh, advice for Bass Edge Nation before we let you out of here?
3: Uh, nothing that I can really think of. Uh, just uh, everybody have a good safe season this year and wear lots of sunblock. And also, on the, back to those sunglasses, uh, SolarBat said they would run a uh, 20% off of uh, all their sunglasses with a D bat 15 promo code if you enter that at checkout go to solarbat.com enter dbat 15 and get a 20 percent discount on any glass i got a signature series there too but Mossback lenses man those things are the greatest so check those out
0: that's a great tip thanks for uh firing that code to the listeners hey man we wish you success in your remaining events this year and bass edge will be right back after this message Music.
2: Bass Edge, Season 3, now on DVD at BassEdge.com.
0: that was a uh, fun interview with Mr. Lefebvre. You know, Dave's always got some interesting things going on, brings a new perspective to a lot of us because there really isn't a whole lot of pro anglers from up north. Dave talks a little bit about some of the different aspects from the north and the south and uh, all kinds of cool stuff going on with him.
1: Certainly has the experience, no doubt, and uh, the resume to back it up. And like you said, it's always a pleasure to have him on the show and enjoyed uh, giving him some trouble about holding back on us a little bit with the one comment. But you know what? It's all in fun. And not to change gears too quickly here, Kurt, but before we shut down, talk to me a little bit about, rumor has it, about this uh, MLF situation. You know, I don't want to let the cat out of the bag, but I want you to kind of disclose that. Let us know what's going on.
0: Oh, yeah. So, yeah, cat is was out of the bag, actually, just uh, about two weeks ago. Um, aired on the Outdoor Channel was uh, a show that I was on, Major League Fishing Selects, and hey, buddy, you know, even a blind squirrel finds a nut every once in a while.
1: Oh, uh, no, I don't know about that, man. Hardly blind when you're going into it eyes wide open like you did. But uh, yeah, great job. What was your most memorable thing that happened during the course of that television show and the taping?
0: You know, I tell you what, everybody knows the premise of MLF. We don't have to get into that, but nothing can be taken back from the adrenaline rush that you know what the score is while you're playing the game. And then the fact that you can adjust to that scoreboard. And uh, really, that's what brought me the success and brought me the win in that select show was that there was a couple guys catching a few fish and I knew I was a couple pounds behind with, uh, you know, just a half hour or so left to go in the competition. And uh, I made a quick move there with about 30 minutes to go where I had caught some better fish earlier in the day. Man, it was just kind of a divine intervention. You know, I, I rolled up on this bank and I started, I was flipping a jig and catching some quality fish on a and pig, which we all know produces. Uh, that's why we've talked to Denny Brower so many times on the show because the guys want a ton of money with it. And uh, certainly it paid off for... Me that day, I land a four and a change with uh, just about 13 minutes left to go in the uh, competition and uh, take the big W, man. It just felt really good. One, to do it on national television, you know, on the outdoor channel, and then two, to uh, beat those guys that are my peers, you know. Um, All those guys are great anglers and and felt good to be able to accomplish that task. So uh, anytime you win, it makes you smile big time. No change here, and uh, hopefully we can make it happen again. It's not happening enough. Aaron. We got to keep it going.
1: Well, that's why we do what we do. And I'd just like to add, you know, talking about the competitive nature of not only you, but really all of us as anglers, it wouldn't have mattered, Kurt, if that was on national TV or not. And if that was against, uh, you know, five guys that uh, decided to throw $5 in the pot at takeoff, a win is a win. And part of that shin kicking and just personal satisfaction, but it's more about just being able to follow your instinct. And then when a plan comes together and that works best feeling in the world, no doubt. So hats off to you and congratulations. And also, Uh, Really a big congratulations with what Major League Fishing is doing, just not only for the sport but also for all of us as uh, the fishing bass addicts that we are. going to be an exciting you know last part of the year i just want to throw out to bass edge nation uh, looking at the schedule for who we have lined up that's coming and also with some of these pro tips i mean it is really bass edge is really going to a different level want to thank each and every one of our listeners for staying tuned it is always a joy for you guys to make this journey with kurt and i for kurt dove i am aaron martin that brings episode number 207 to a close so long everybody and we will see you right here may 15th for episode number two zero
2: So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. Keel Guard Keel Protectors.
0: Okay. So Dave Lefebvre, man. Aaron, that was a good interview. Um, We got the juice. We just didn't get the nectar. (laughs) But uh, it was great to have Dave on the show. It was good to have Dave on the show.
1: Um yeah, and uh, Steve Leslie, that's probably not something that we want to publicize
0: beyond <laughs> the three of us. So, all right, I don't is... know. I think that's fine to publicize in my book. The hey, it's very not... obvious, very obvious throughout the uh, interview that uh, he was beating around the bush and was not giving us the roots. Edge is presented by KeelGuard.
2: For more information on Bass Edge or to shop at the Bass Edge online store, visit BassEdge.com. And be sure to join Kurt Dove and Aaron Martin right here on another episode of The Edge. Brought to you in part by Legend Boats, O'Reilly Auto Parts, Lucas Oil Products, ProtectTheHarvest.com, Mercury Marine, Nuance, PowerPole, and Rapaholic.com.